You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. I don't know how your break was. Uh, Maybe it was restful. Maybe it was uh, enjoyable. I don't know what your favorite food was. If it was pumpkin pie, you're wrong. That's, uh, That's what you told your neighbor. But if it, was, if it was none of those things, if it wasn't restful, if you didn't enjoy the food, if you didn't enjoy your company, I hope it was productive, right? And that's the way that I look for my breaks to be, productive. And if you know me, you know that's really true because I don't really stop. I just kind of shift one thing to the next. And I love working and I love working hard. I love playing hard. And so my, my break was productive. And I needed it to be productive because there's a lot going on in life these days, right? We can feel that around campus I can feel the pressure of academics as we approach finals. I can hear it in your prayer requests that you've been sharing with us over these past weeks. There's tension, there's pressure academically right now, right? We need to be productive. We gotta get ready for those finals. We gotta get ready to wrap up the year. Those of you that aren't students, maybe you feel that same pressure because you gotta wrap up those work projects before the holidays. You know, everybody's like, let's circle back after the holidays and get to that. And you're like, no, we gotta get this off my off my to-do list now, right? I got deadlines, the boss is breathing down my neck. There's family plans, there's holidays, there's all these things that press in on us here at the end of the year, before holidays hit, before we get our time off, before we celebrate. So the pressure can be high, the anxiety can be high, right? And so I invite you, in whatever place you're coming from, I invite you to set those things aside this morning. I invite you amidst those pressures to find your rest in Jesus. For a moment, for a few hours, for the day, I invite you to find your rest in Jesus today. Those worries, those pressures, they're going to remain. The stress, the the impending projects and final exams, they'll be there. But pause and find your comfort in Jesus. As we gather, as we worship, as we go about our day, let's do that. I invite you to that this morning. That's that's, uh, actually a place I really needed to be this week because... uh, as I engaged back into things on Monday morning, I was sharing this story, I'm off script now, I was sharing this story with the, the group this morning here, and uh, they got a kick out of it, so I thought I'd, I'd share it with you. Stepped back into all the stress of life on Monday, right? And I walked out of my house to go to the pool at 5.30 in the morning and saw that something was different about the Christmas decorations we had set up. My son and I spent a lot of time putting up our Christmas decorations. He loves them. He loves them so much he was wrestling with Snoopy, our uh, for hours while we were putting him up. Broke his nose off, had to glue it back on, right? Uh, but Snoopy was gone. That's what I noticed when I walked out the door. And then I looked a little closer, and, and one of the Christmas trees that we put up was, was gone, the, the light-up trees. And it dawned on me, somebody had stolen our Christmas decorations overnight. Who steals Christmas decorations? Now, they didn't take Jesus out of the manger, but they took Snoopy in a Christmas tree, so at least there's some reverence here, right? <laughs> But I was devastated, right? Devastated. My little boy loves this. Why would you do it? And, and what makes it worse is five years ago, four years ago, it wasn't just two things. It was all our decorations that got stolen. So we've had this before. People stealing our hope at Christmas time. Devastated by lost decorations. Now, I'm, I'm being a little facetious, but I did file a police report, if, if you would know. Um, and apparently other people had decorations stolen that night. So hopefully somebody finds who these people are and shares Jesus with them because they need to know Jesus. Um, But devastation, lack of hope, needing hope, 
those are important aspects to where we're going to be at this morning. So I thought I'd, I'd share that story with you. Gives you a little insight into my mind. Uh, well, if you don't know, Alan already referenced, right? This is the second Sunday of Advent. And maybe you grew up observing the church calendar. You know what I mean by when I say Advent. Maybe you don't. It doesn't matter. Wherever you come from, wherever you're at, it's fine. We just want to pause at different times of the year and acknowledge that we're getting ready for Christmas. We're getting ready during Lent for Easter. And that's, what, that's all I mean by that. During the season of Advent, we hold things in tension, right? We look to the past, to Jesus' first coming, to his birth, and we celebrate that at Christmas. We also look forward to his second coming. We await with that with anticipation. So Advent is a, is a looking back and a looking forward for us as, as the people of Jesus. It's a time for us to reflect and refocus our faith on Christ as we prepare for his birth at Christmas and await his second coming. Now, if you haven't already, I hope you'll join us in the Bible app uh, for our Advent reading plan. This is something we've done for a number of years. It's a great way for us to be engaged in Scripture together as a, as a church body. Join the group plan and share your thoughts as you reflect on the readings from each day, the passage that's there. Generally short, you can do it in probably about a 15-minute quiet time in the morning or at night if that's your thing. Uh, it's, what I love about this is it's a place for us, no matter where we're at, to engage in the scriptures and prepare our hearts for the coming celebration at Christmas during this Advent season. So join in there, share your thoughts. We'd love to hear them. You know, even right now, you could pull out your phone and scan that QR code from that really janky graphic I created, and, and it'll take you right to the link to jump on that plan. Or you could text your small group leader, and that would be appropriate, and ask them for that link, because they have it too. Uh, we've made sure that they have it. But join on that Advent plan, follow along, read with us as we all prepare our hearts for the coming celebration of Christmas. Well, today, to help facilitate our refocusing and our reshaping of our hearts on Jesus, as a church, I want us to do a Bible study, just like we do every other Sunday morning here. I hope you had a chance to look at our pa your passage in your small group this week. I know many of you had great questions. I love hearing where the Lord leads your discussions and what things come up. You know, for many of us, this is a familiar passage, but it still holds some confusing elements. There's still lots of questions. What is going on here, huh? And continuing in that nature of Advent being looking back and looking ahead, waiting on Jesus, we've chosen for a number of years here in Alani Life to look back at Old Testament prophecy about the birth of Jesus in the weeks leading up to our final service, where we'll celebrate the birth of Jesus. Last year, we had a chance to look at Isaiah chapter 9. If you were here with us, you can go back and look at that on our podcast if you'd like to. And this year, I have another message for you from a pre-exilic prophet. Somebody around that same time. Somebody before the exile, if you know what I mean. This time, it's Micah, a little-known prophet. Micah. Now, some of you, you're already wondering when I was talking prophets and pre-exile and Old Testament. Old Testament, Nick, it's Christmas time. What are we doing? Come on. Do we really need to read the prophets? I mean, they're like old, ancient people, right? They're like... They prophesied about Jesus. He came. We can move on, right? Let's, let's, we're not going to exile. Uh, I think that's all very important questions to ask. It's very important questions to wrestle with. And the simplest answer for why I want us to root ourselves in the prophets why, at this time of year, why I want us to read the Old Testament regularly, is because, it's because the word of the Lord is profitable for all people of all times. 
it's still speaking today. The Old Testament prophets, they carry a powerful message that's still relevant to us today. The Lord is still speaking through them thousands of years later. Our circumstances, and our, our, they're not theirs. Our, their, their specific circumstances are very different than ours. Yet the heart of God that he's revealing to guide his people is still the same. It's the same direction and guidance we need today. It's not, their message isn't unique. See, the same types of troubles, the same roots of sin, the same sinful heart in all of us that leads us to want to be our own gods, to, to take our own path rather than follow God, are still present, and God has to speak against them. God does speak against them. And so their message is still relevant in speaking to us today. Just as God addressed his people through the prophets then, he's still addressing us through the prophets today. The main reason, though, that I want us to look at the prophets at this time of year is because they offer rich views of God's faithfulness and offer us hope for God's ultimate victory despite our present circumstances, despite the devastation of my Christmas decorations being stolen and lost. The prophets call God's people to repentance, but they do so with offering immense hope, immense hope in what God is about to do in the imagery and declarations of the coming Messiah, of God's provision in life. You see, the, the prophets offered a call to repentance, but they offered a call to hope, a hope in Jesus, ultimately realized. They prophesied that Jesus would be coming, and it offered people in desperation the need, the hope they needed. Hope in desperation. It's a message I've needed for a number of years now as we've faced this pandemic, as we've dealt with things as a church, as we've dealt with things in my own life. Hope and desperation. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe that's where you've been in the past. Maybe it's where you're at right now as you think about preparing for final exams, right? I'm desperate. God, help me get that grade. Help me pass. Hope for people in desperation. That's what we're going to see this morning. That's what I want us to see from Micah. That's the message that he had for his people in his day, and that's the message God has for us as we engage. So today we're going to see that despite the present circumstances, God will deliver his people. Whatever hardships we are enduring ourselves, they won't be the end of us. We, have, we can have hope because God wins in the end. Even if it feels like we're losing the battle now, God wins in the end. God wins. That's hopeful you remember nothing else today, remember, remember that. Despite the present circumstances, God will be victorious. God will endure. We can have hope because God will persevere. That's Micah's message. That's our message today that the Lord has for us. Before we unpack that truth, we need to get some historic context to understand how that truth comes forward. If you haven't heard me say it before, context is king when you're studying scripture, and it's even more so in the time of the prophets, when you're looking at the prophets, because their time is not our time. We have to understand what they're dealing with. You see, when you're reading the prophets, you're, you're really reading sermons that are very specific to a context, yet it's not our context. Now, the message is still true and applicable, and we need to do some unpacking to get at that. So it's a little bit of a history lesson often when you're engaging with the prophets. Our passage today, it's Micah chapter 5. It's the first six verses. And some of you will recognize in here a Christmas card verse, right? Maybe you've gotten it already on a Christmas card that you've received. You know, that 
weird uncle and aunt that Alan talked about that love Jesus and put Micah 5.2 on their card. Uh, we'll get to that later, but let me give you the historic backdrop. You can read more about this in, in 2 Kings 18, 2 Chronicles 32. You can read all about the reign of King Hezekiah of Judah. And he was a great king. He brought religious reforms uh, in his youth he was in his, uh, as a young king. He tore down the high places, the worship of other gods, and, and he brought worship back to the Lord in Judah. Brought the people back to following Yahweh. And he's in the southern kingdom. And during the time of his reign, the northern kingdom, Israel, fell in his sixth, he'd only been king for six years, and they fell to the invading armies of the superpowers of their day, and they were carried off to captivity, never to be seen again. So he sees his neighboring people of God captive, or uh, carried off into captivity. And these religious reforms that he brought it kind of angered this Assyrian superpower of the day. He made an alliance with Egypt, with Egypt to have protection and to not have to pay tribute to Assyria. Rather, he pay it to Egypt to, to be protected. And this bothered Assyria. They wanted their money. They wanted, their, they wanted his allegiance. He broke from that, and he wanted to bring Israel back into uh, worship of, of, of God and, and pay tribute to him alone. And so Assyria, they decided, we're going to get what's ours. And they bring massive military invasion to the doorstep of, of Judah. They, they devastate the countryside, burning, pillaging the cities until everybody is gathered up in Jerusalem. They've laid siege to the city. The remnant of the tribe of Judah and the king are holed up in Jerusalem while the Assyrian army surrounds and, and sieges the city. The people of Judah have suffered immensely under this invasion. You know, Syrian records, they tell us of the siege on Jerusalem in 701 BC. It's uh, by Sennacherib, who's a, a ruler of that time. And if you were uh, paid attention to high school history, which I didn't, um, you know that name. He writes in his, in his records, he writes himself talking of King Hezekiah, I made a prisoner in Jerusalem, his royal residence, like a bird in a cage. You can hear his arrogance, his boasting about his, how he's spinning his not-so-complete military conquest of them. He's just kind of locked them up in Jerusalem. Didn't complete the, uh, the military campaign. But like a bird in a cage, Hezekiah is trapped. In Jerusalem, the people are trapped, surrounded by their enemy. That's the historic setting that Micah's writing in. The people in Jerusalem laid siege by the Assyrian superpower. That's what Micah speaks into. So with that, let's look at our passage. And here we're going to see the grim outlook of Judah under siege. Their leader humiliated and stripped of his power as, as Micah gets started in his prophecy. And Micah, he's going to offer hope. He's going to offer hope that a ruler will come over Israel and, and unite them. A ruler from Bethlehem in Judah, Invoking the past promise of the uh, ruler of Israel being from David's line, from David's city. The ruler will unite God's people, bring peace and security once again. No enemy will stand against them. And so the present circumstances will eventually be undone. What seems hopeless, they can find hope in. God's ruler will reign again, bringing unity, peace, and security. That's the message. So let's read. This is uh, Micah's uh, oracle has six verses of prophecy to these people in siege. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. 
with a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until a time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock with the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And he shall dwell secure. They shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces. Then we will rise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword in the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. So pretty straightforward. I'm sure you got that all. And that's why there was no questions in small group, right? This is confusing, right? Let's just be honest, right? There's a lot going on here that that just isn't our world. Trust me, there's a lot of hope here. Let's try to unpack that a little bit, right? In this opening verse, we have Micah, uh, he calls the the forces to gather the forces, right? Siege is laid upon us, right? You hear them gathered up in in, uh, Jerusalem. Let's do something, right? All All of you to arms, protect the city. Right? In this situation, it's, it's so humiliating for Judah, right? So humiliating that Micah cannot even bring himself to name Hezekiah by name, right? He can't even call him the king. He has to call him the judge who struck on the cheek with a rod, humiliated for the king. Right? And you, if you were with us, he's invoking the period of judges. If you were with us when we studied judges, you remember how messed up that period of time was for Israel, right? Everybody did what they thought was right in their own eyes. It's a horrible time in the history of Israel. They're constantly being invaded and overrun by those around them, just like they are right now. And so, humiliated, armies pressed around them. Micah lays in. Doesn't look good for Judah. A foreign country has just invaded their land. They're all trapped in in Jerusalem. But then Micah brings it, right? He brings the hope. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to rule in Israel. There it is, right? That Christmas verse that maybe you've seen before. Despite the humiliated, trapped like a bird, king of Judah, surrounded by the Assyrian army, God promises he will bring forth a ruler in Israel. This will not be the end. That's what that means. God's going to bring forth a ruler. This isn't the end of you. And see, with, with great specificity, right, God identifies where this ruler will be born. In the town of Bethlehem, And in case there would be any other city given that name, this is Bethlehem in the district of Ephrathah, in the land of the tribe of Judah, right? There is no mistaking where this ruler will come from. Very specific. Micah includes these names to make that absolutely clear. And a tangent here for me that's that's really fun, and if you've been around, you know I like to do this at times. Hebrew words are exciting. They mean something. And so Bethlehem means house of bread, if you didn't know that. House of bread in Hebrew. And Ephratah, the region, the district, it means fruitful in Hebrew, right? So by using these specific names, Micah is reminding the Hebrew hearer, right, of God's abundant provision, his daily bread, 
his fruitful provision in our lives if we are his people. The names carry forth those meanings. They remind the people that hear them what God is like, what he does. Despite the devastation of the countryside, the crops burned, the the villages plundered, God will bring forth bread and fruitful life in him. Well, uh, tangent aside, uh, not only that, Micah invokes history here, and that's the key. History of Israel referencing back to the first great king of Israel, the one that God promised the forever king would come from, David. The prophesied ruler will be from David's town of Bethlehem. He will come from David's lineage as promised in those ancient days, all those long days ago when God foretold that someone would come from David's throne. To Micah's audience, to the huddled masses in Jerusalem under siege, this is exciting. This is hopeful. This carries them forward. Right? He's reminding the hearers of the Davidic promise, the promise that assured God would bring forth a king for his people and assure their security once again. Through humble beginnings, God appointed David, a shepherd boy, and brought him to rule over all of Israel. Micah invokes the historic names, Bethlehem, Ephrata, Judah, to remind the hearers of that humble beginning. Not unlike the humbled state they find themselves in right now. See, they're a single tribe, devastated, huddled together in the walls of Jerusalem under siege. Yet in that humble, backwoods city of David, Bethlehem, in the region of Ephrata, in this littlest of the twelve tribes, Judah, God will bring forth his ruler. And he will rule over all creation just as he's promised to do. This won't be the end. Just as out of the humiliation of Saul and Israel at the hands of the Philistines, God brought forth David and the everlasting kingdom of God, so too out of the ashes of this devastation and humiliation, a greater David will rise. That's Micah's message. The promised ruler is coming. The idyllic David, Davidic king, he's coming. He's going to later be referred to as Messiah. Maybe you know that term or you've heard that. The post-exilic prophets, those that when they come back from exile, they start giving that name, Messiah. Micah here, he doesn't have that term, but it's clear that's who he's talking about. He's describing the Messiah. Now, as this passage continues on, we see that, that the hope, it's not going to be realized in the immediate days, right? They're going to be given up for a time, right, before the birth of this ruler, and what remains of Israel, they'll eventually be abandoned and without a king. Yet there's still hope because there will be a ruler that will come and he will reunite God's people and he will reign over their enemies. Right? And, and he tells us that with the birth of this ruler, there will be a renewed and united Israel. All the brothers will come back, it says. Assyria will have its time and Micah, he offers no immediate hope that these, these circumstances ultimately are, are going to go away. But there's still hope. It won't be the end. They'll have to endure their hardships. However, they have perspective that this won't be the complete undoing of the Lord's kingdom, of his people. The promised ruler will eventually be victorious when he arrives. Micah continues on in the second half of his oracle. He, he builds up the hope by outlining the, what that future will look like, right? It's going to, uh, there'll be unlimited military forces, Right? The humiliated Hezekiah, he's very limited in his resources, stuck in under siege. This promised ruler, though, he will have 
all at his, at his disposal. He will conquer the entire world. Everyone will bow their knee in worship of him. They'll have the strength of the Lord. Nothing will stop him. It says he'll, he'll raise up seven shepherds and eight princes, meaning that God will extend his rule throughout all those who follow him. Right? The, the numbers here, they're representative. I know some of you were wondering about that this week. Right? Seven being perfection, eight being more than perfection and more than complete. God will raise up apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to accomplish his kingdom's purpose, to spread the reign of Christ to all around the world. Under his reign, again, his peop- the people of God will dwell securely from under the true king, the one in David's line. No longer threatened by death from sin. No longer under the, th- the thumb of our enemy. We will be freed under the reign of Christ. That king, that true king, he will be our peace and our rest. That's the way that Micah describes it. He goes beyond. He says, your present circumstances will actually be reversed, right? Your enemies are oppressing you, yet I will reign supreme over your enemies. In the end, that's the hope that carries them forward. That's the reversal of this great historic tragedy that they had to endure. The Messiah was coming, and that hope could carry them forward. And that's the center of Micah's prophecy. It's about hope. Hope in the future promised ruler. Hope in the Messiah that's coming. Hope in the midst of devastation. Hope. Now, in the New Testament, both Matthew in chapter 2 and in John in chapter 7, they loosely reference back to this, this oracle, Micah 5.2 in particular, indicating that, that this Jewish community 700 years later was still holding on to this expectation, still holding on to this promise that a ruler would come. They still had hope in what Micah preached 700 years later. They're clinging to it. And that hope, that hope, that expectation is met in Jesus Christ. The one whose birth in Bethlehem was foretold. Bethlehem in Judah, just as Micah prophesied. The one that we celebrate in a few weeks here on Christmas Day. See, from humble beginnings, the Messiah entered the world in a manger in little Bethlehem in Judah. He would go on to become the great shepherd of the sheep, a concept that the prophets continue on. It began way back in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2. Micah picks it up in verse 4 here. Isaiah carries it forward in his prophecies. Others will carry it forward. They realize Jesus is the good shepherd. Not only did he shepherd the people, he brought peace to all creation, defeating sin and uniting all people under God. This is a concept that Paul will pick up on in Ephesians and declare fulfilled in the inclusion of the Gentiles in the family of God. The fact that we gather here today united is the fulfillment of Micah's prophecy. It's what Paul is after. We, Gentiles, included in the kingdom of God. I hope uh, the hope that Micah offered in his days, it finds its fulfillment, fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The hope is fulfilled. Though it's clothed in the specifics of his era, under siege, Assyria, Nimrod, things that don't connect with us, it's fulfilled brought forth to our day too as we wait for that deliverer to return. 
right? As an, at an undisclosed time for them, they waited that ruler. At an undisclosed time, we wait for Jesus' return. See, the New Testament authors, they were right to see Jesus as the fulfillment of this prophecy. They were right to see Jesus, the one born in Bethlehem, as the ruler that had been anticipated, the ruler they were waiting for. And we're right to see Jesus as that promised Messiah, the one that will continue to fulfill this prophecy. And he returns. The hope of the promised ruler carried a devastated Judah through dark times withstanding siege of the military superpower of their day, being able to still be faithful to the Lord. They carried those faithful through the dark days of the exile. They carried them forward as they waited for that return, of that ruler of the reuniting of Israel. And it carried the, those that remained after the exile forward as they waited for the birth of Jesus 700 years after this prophecy. Hope in the promise of God is a powerful thing. It carries us forward. As the people of God, hope in what God is doing carries us forward. Today, the same hope that carried them forward carries us forward as we wait on the coming of Jesus, the promised ruler, the one who will reign over all creation. He'll be our peace. He'll be our rest. He'll bring true unity to the world. And so this Advent season, this Advent season, as you sing familiar hymns, as you hear them in Starbucks, as you hear them as you're shopping, as you're walking to class with your headphones on, your earbuds in, as you hear these familiar songs about the arrival of Jesus' birth, allow it to be a prayer for his second coming, his second arrival, the ultimate fulfillment of Micah's prophecy. For that to be realized, right? As, as you hear, O come, O come, Emmanuel, this season, make it a prayer for Jesus' return rather than for his historic birth, right? As you sing, O come, O bright morning star, and bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadows of the night and turn our darkness into light. O come, O king of nations, bind in one the, the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease and be yourself our king of peace. Pray that for Jesus' return, for the second coming. As you hear and sing, come thou long expected Jesus, make it a prayer for Jesus' reign in our lives and for his forever kingdom to come. Be thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. Be thine all-sufficient merit, rise us to thy glorious throne. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, right? And one more. As you sing, hark the herald angels sing, make it a prayer for Jesus, the everlasting King, to come back into our lives in fullness. Christ, by highest heaven adore, Christ, the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, Jesus God with us. Pray for his return. And so, Alani Life, as we go through Advent, let's place our hope in the return of Christ, his full reign in all creation. And let us carry us forward through whatever hardships we face. Because despite our present circumstances, God will deliver his people.
And because of that, we can hope because God will persevere. Will you pray with me?